Ronderings is back in the building, bringing my next guest, Judith Janez. Judith and I have been part of the same network, the Education Leaders of Color Network. See a theme here, right? And we got the chance to meet in Phoenix, Arizona, when she was a finalist for the Boulder Fund, which is a FUBU for us, by us fund for EDLOC members to get coaching and monetary support over the course of a year. I met Judith at the happy hour before the selection event, and we just vibed. And vibed in a different way than I would say than my buddy Jonathan. It was one of those more, we just knew it because what Judith and I have in common, which you'll hear from this episode, is deeply empathic, intuitive, spiritual human beings. You're going to see another side of me, but more importantly, a side that aligns with how Judith sees the world, is able to do the great work that she does in Arkansas. Enjoy the episode. Judith Yanez, I'm really excited to have you on Ronderings. How are you today? Good. How are you, Ron? Uh, feeling blessed. Cannot believe that uh, doing this podcast together after having the pleasure of meeting you at the Edlock Boulder Fund finalist selection event and getting to talk to you at a happy hour before really just vibed. And I knew after we vibed during that happy hour that we were just going to deepen a relationship. And I feel really blessed that you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. I don't know if bless is the word, Ron. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like that moment yeah. in time changed my life. Mm. Not that it changed my life. It aligned my life mm. to where I was uh, trying to understand who I was. And then yeah. you came along and you validated who I was. And it was chart changing, alignment yeah. I don't know if bless is the word for me. Um, validation. I was yeah. seen. Mm. I can keep going on and on. Yeah. But thank you for that moment. Well, I think we may end up spending some time there. Um, we'll let this be organic. We may end up going back to that. But Judith, in rondering style, I want you to start off with how would you describe your story? You know, this now I feel qualified to be able to speak my story and I think because I trust myself and I'm able to hold space to the honor and the respect and the dignity that I deserve, that I was never given in life, but that I deserve to be able to go back now and go, Judith, this is your story. And I think if I were to tell my story or say what my story is, is in education, we're trying to save those children. I am one of those children. And no one came to save me. I had to save myself. And when I say save myself, I had to heal. I had to go through a journey of trying to understand what happened to me in self-awareness. From a little girl that was creative, met strangers, that just the universe gave her the lessons. And then she went into her K-12 through education and how educators and adults were trying to tell her, you need to speak up, you're too quiet. You spend too much time in your head and that we need to hear you and the world needs to hear you and the world needs to hear your thoughts all while not giving me the space to articulate my thoughts or knowing what I was thinking or knowing the intuitive I was, the empath, how I was feeling everything while holding space for others to tell their story. So I was that place and I never knew how to handle it all. 
And so not only did I grow up in trauma and dysfunction of a Mexican-American family, I had to hold it for others. And I never knew where I started and I ended. And so it wasn't until I had my children and I raised my kids as a single mom in poverty that one day I looked at them and I said, I, I want you to go to school and I want you to become better. And I sat there with myself and I was like, wait, you need to model that to them. And it was the day that I chose to start healing and modeling to my kids what badass looked like. And I honestly, mm. no one gives you a roadmap. No one tells you, hey, here's your step. When it comes to healing, there's no steps. And so you kind of have to walk in the unknown being scared with that fear, holding it, and then jumping, being a trailblazer where no one understands you. And then you're like, hey, Judith, what are you doing? You're making us scared now because we don't know what you're doing and you're following no rules while you're carrying all this trauma and not trusting yourself. And so I know I'm speaking in abstract because I no longer want to hold the things that were done to me. I don't want to give them value anymore in my life, you know, mm. and see them as the inspiration that helped me heal and to understand other human beings. Mm. There's something, Judith, you said that's really powerful there, right? And I don't, in taking your words, not going to delve into what you went through, but I'm curious, what do you value today and how do you go about your work? Describe that for our audience. I know when you and I, look, we had a, we had a coaching session together. I was helping you out with that, but walk our audience through that. So what does he, Judith do and what do you value? Yeah, here, here's what I know back looking at my story that Judith did is okay. she came back to save the kids that she was, right? Like, so I work with Latina immigrant mamas uh, to ensure that they're engaged in their child's education, that they know how to break cycles. But if I look back when I started this work, Judith Leader was trying to save herself, not knowing, and it was projecting onto the work she was doing. Mm. And so now I completely understand with my work, if we as leaders that come from the communities that we're serving, if we don't go in and do our inner work, we are projecting on those that we're serving and we are creating programming to save ourselves, not a community. And so uh. what Judith does is I make sure that I am doing my healing, that I am working on um, dismantling the, myself from the systems that we came from to ensure from all those lessons that I'm learning during the dismantling process that I'm able to bring it to a community and go, here's what I'm learning from what I'm healing. What are you seeing? And so our dear mamas that I love dearly have a saying, Judith, you go mess up, screw up, go fuck up. Because when you do, you come back and you bring us the teachings. And so, yes, I am building a nonprofit organization to serve kids, but through my healing, I am getting so much wisdom to be able to create the space for a community to come up with their own solutions. I love this idea, Judith, of you being able, like you having to do your own work because it's really easy to then work with people to go through your own work. So how do you, how do you juxtapose that? Like, cause I might argue that we're never done with our own inner work, but how do you make sure that there's this line between you doing your work and not doing your work in order to, heal yourself while while leading others. Yeah, and as I hear you saying that, Ron, of how do I balance not imposing my healing onto a community 
is the realization, if I go back and connect the dots of our education system, my education, where it failed me, it never gave me the opportunity to come up with my own solutions. We were always dictated of here are the steps, here is the test that you're going to pass or not pass. There was really not a space to fail to learn. And so where I balance this is I am just a space holder. I am a space holder that based on the healing that I went through, I kind of kept, like you taught me, you taught me this, Ron. I'm a math major. We're approximating the area under the curve. This is what the gift that Ron gave me is approximate now what experience you can give families so they're able to start to connect their own dots start to see. So I'm just the provider of experiences for families and not imposing ideas. So I could, with my own healing and the work that I do with families, find the patterns that allow me to approximate where I can start this work. Without, and this is very important, is the listening. We have to listen to find those patterns. And until until those patterns come up for me, I don't move. And then I ask our families, "Is this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm hearing, what do you think? And from that, we build on. So they trust me that I'm not going to impose an idea on them. We're just going to provide a space to discover the issue, the root cause, where they're part of the solution. How do you listen? I, th- th- I don't mean, th- this sounds almost like a, like a crazy question, right? It's like, well, listen, because I'm there. But how does Judith listen in service of the Latinx moms that you're supporting? It sounds like a crazy question to ask. How do I listen? I understand why you're asking it because listening is a lost art. And there is, I had to train myself to not listen to react, not listen to impose my idea, just to hold a space. And that took time because when you grow up in trauma, your body automatically wants to defend or protect And so it takes a lot of healing for me now to be able to sit there and like, what am I really hearing? And then what questions can I ask to get more information? It's an art. It's an art because I often think me coming from trauma, I was projecting onto people what I had gone through. And so having healed that part of me, and I say, I don't think we could ever, like you said, we can't ever say we're healed completely. But having done the work now to be able to, my nervous system to feel safe, my body to feel safe, I'm no longer reacting to what people are saying, and then I could sit there and actually listen. Judith, when you and I have talked, we're both fellow empaths, intuits, intuitives, that's the proper noun. Do you have a first time you remember you knew you had the gift? Can you walk us through that? Or first time you can remember being like, Wait, there's something different about me that I can do it. And there's something that I, I just, wow, there's something going on here. That's a very interesting question. I've never sat to analyze that, but I'm going to go back to the early memory that I have as you asked that question. We lived in Mexico for about two years when I was like in first or second grade. And there was this woman that had lost her child. So she sat in the streets rocking this baby doll and just sitting there rocking the baby, rocking the baby, crying and this wailing, crying cause for her child. And so I remember having to go and sit with her, having to go just give her a hug for that moment because I felt her pain. Uh, and to this day, I actually like think about her and I hope she's okay. I, I wonder what happened to her. But it, 
I was, what, six, seven, eight years old. Like, And this is a thing with empath children that we feel this pain that we don't understand. And then when you don't have a family supporting you or a family working through that gift of being intuitive or an empath, you take that pain as your own. And then when you're working with a dysfunctional family, you're working with trauma, like that just built up layer upon layer upon layer. So when you asked me the question, when was the first time that I felt that? I think my gift was a curse when I was little because it was so scary to be me and feeling everything that I felt. It's almost like... um Watch the movie Moana. I've never have. Oh, you should watch Moana. There's something about Moana when she's a baby earlier in the movie, being able to play with the water and having this gift with the water constantly, not only supporting her, but catching her. She could never drown or have anything bad happen to her. The water always, she was one with it. And in some ways, they didn't quite understand it until she got older, right? It was just something like, ah, oh, but baby, no, it's just what is, right? And I think until she got older and decided to leave because in the story, they were having a lot of farming issues and not able to grow things. So they had to go beyond their island and her having this gift being one in the water really allowed her to find something that was beyond what their island could provide. And so it was this sense of like deepening community by being that you're really connected, right? And so it sounds like your amazing gift of being able to feel allows you to be deeply connected to everyone, I would argue at the same time, which probably feels overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming. This is why I love the pandemic. I know there was a lot of things happening and that's awful to say that I love the pandemic, but this past week, we were snowed in for a, like three or four days. And I'm like, whoa, I love Zoom meetings because I don't have to feel the energy. It, it's overwhelming. And you have to learn how to balance it. Uh, and you go back to listening. When you grow up in trauma, you don't know where you this gift starts or ends. And so then you have to really do the job of healing an orthodox methods of um, practicing spiritual things. You're like constantly looking for something to heal. Hmm in order to find that balance and that centeredness with the gift. Yeah. You know, something that you and I talked about, right, is that when you have this gift and you may not have been surrounded by other people, understood the gift, you have to find other people with the gift. And we had the blessing of finding each other. And I think when I talked to you about that, I also intimated to you that being on my journey, there's someone that I found four or five years ago who's a fellow psychic and she's my purpose coach. And so Julie's really helped me to understand how to tap into my gift and see things. Who who supports Judith on Judith's gift? Who's who's your coach? Who's your helping you hone your ability to intuit? Here's a fascinating thing with that, Ron, is that I will find a teacher and then I outgrow the teacher. So I I this as we, this gift is lonely because we're actually the ones giving the gift back to the world. And somehow we have the strength, we have the power to persevere, to looking for the answers. And I really right now have not found anyone. I think that's the part that I'm yearning, but I'm also realizing I might be the one that's giving the answers to others on the path. And so there's this balance I'm trying to articulate the balance that it is of understanding this path is really, really lonely, but we're the light that comes to shine the path for others. 
And so where do we find the balance with that? So right now, this year, I am going to go a month to Peru. I got permission to study with the Caro people. We talked about this. I yes. want to dive into this more. Yeah. Keep going. No, yeah. so I'm craving learning, but I really don't have a teacher that has walked this path with me. I've had to walk it alone. And through that has been a lot of strength because human beings walk on paths by themselves and it's lonely. And especially when you're breaking cycles, you have friends that disappears, you have family members that disappear, and it's a really lonely path. So you really have to find the answers within yourself and people will come like your coach to help you at times, but you're going to find that you outgrow it sometimes really quickly once you find the answers within you. So tell me how you found this opportunity in Peru and what you're looking to get out of it or what maybe you don't know and you're just going because it's uh, something you feel and hear that's hard to articulate with what we've talked about, our five senses language. Yeah, I, so I've taken a couple classes with Marilu Shin. She is Mexican and she did study under the Quero ancestry in Peru. So I've taken a couple of classes with her and she always mentions how the tradition, the le- the legacy that helped heal you are is usually the one that you're meant to carry within you. So that struck with me. But the thing is, I'm Mexican. And so my lineage is Mexican. So I was having this issue of, am I creating the same, you know, like colonization going to Peru now, not being my lineage? Uh, and so I had to ask the coca leaves. I had a coca leaf reading with... Um, Alfredo Alpasa, this is done in Peru online. And so I had to ask, is is it correct for me to go study? And he said, absolutely. So I will be spending a month there this year studying. I was amazed at his simpleness of, and I actually felt the gap between our modern world and his simpleness of just saying few words of speaking with calmness and that joy that that was just brilliant in his whole soul. That amazed me. And I want to be around that because I feel like that that's the part that's missing in this world is like the simplicity and the humbleness to live. I want to arc into that, right? Because you're in Arkansas, I'm in the greater New York City area. And though folks might posit that, you know, Arkansas or Northwest Arkansas you are is a lot more simpler than the greater New York City area, there's still a complexity about where we live, I might argue, compared to where you're going in Peru. So what do you think simplicity is supposed to look like or feel like? Curious. What are you what are you yearning? I think because of my trauma, I make everything so complex because I was trying to find safety. And so when I felt his energy, it was just so simple, so no complex, just clear thought, direct very centered. And I think he lives up in the mountains. He lives up in, you know, just like living from the land. And I think I'm just wanting calmness. I want my nervous system because I feel everything at all times. I don't want to feel everything at all times. I want to know what that feels like, Ron. I want to know what it's like to just have to worry about the sun rising, the sun going down, playing with an alpaca, running on the field, right? Like that simplicity of life that my nervous system is not overwhelmed by everything in this world and the survival that it takes to live in this world. That sounds like if I were to put five senses language into this, right? When you think about folks and wellness and self-care, that this is Judith's recharging trip. 
And that because you take in so much, I imagine if you were to go outside and drive around your neighborhood, if you walked into a restaurant or a store, my bet is because of how attuned your spirit is, you sense things very deeply without wanting to. So when you're like, so I'm curious, day to day, like how do you, how do you protect yourself and reconcile that? What does that look like for you? I think healing helped me understand that I was projecting onto others what I wanted to heal in myself. And so when I walked in a room, I could understand why someone would feel lonely when no one's talking to them. So I would walk in rooms just wanting to make sure people were comfortable and not paying attention to myself. So the healing process has allowed me to understand I need to take care of myself first and that everybody's capable of taking care of themselves. And that with the healing and the spiritual practice has allowed me to discern even more, hey, universe, you're going to have to tell me crystal clear, concise, no doubt, no question, when you need me to support someone. Because I know I'm here to support human beings, but I need you to tell me crystal clear. Otherwise, I'm going into a room and it's all about me. I'm going to protect my energy. Before that would have been selfish. Before that would have been oh my God, I'm only thinking about myself because that's the feedback I would get for others. Now it's like, no, I have to take care of myself to do the work that I'm meant to do. And that work is not helping everyone in the room. And I, I just have to be that model of what it's like to take care of yourself and to put yourself first, the life vest first, before yeah. taking care of others. Remember that analogy I was giving you when we were in Phoenix? I was talking about when we have this gift some of what we first learned is staying in the eye of the storm, right? So you can observe it, sort of help from the eye of the storm, but not get in it. But the second layer is to learn how to protect yourself enough so you can be in the storm to support others that are in the storm, but don't know how to get out and giving them those tools to get out, right? And so we're weathered by that, right? I would argue you've been weathered by this enough that you need this reset to go to Peru, right? And there's this ability, which I don't quite understand other than the way I've described it, which is a little bit like, I am going to wear this really big poncho and boots and all these things. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's a big umbrella, but I'm walking the storm, but I'm strong enough to be able to go ahead and provide hands and get on a boat and help other people so they can also help themselves and they can then help others to get into the eye of the storm where like that swirl doesn't disappear, but there are places that we can literally create in our lifetime that allow us to feel simplicity, serenity, right? But the, the turbulence, it just is, it's not one to judge. It's just, you know, sometimes you have to be in it and sometimes you could choose not to. And sometimes both of those things exist at the same time which is the beauty of a hurricane, if you think about it, right? <laughs> it's like, there's this part where like, it's not a lot of this, rah, it's like, whoa, and all these things exist at the same time. Yeah, and I think as you're speaking, the word boundaries comes into play. Yeah. Of, I didn't have boundaries before. I didn't know what boundaries were. I was a doormat, I, honestly, mm. that I allowed people to come and deplete me of the resources that I worked so hard to have. I was used, I was abused, and now... My boundaries are crystal clear. And in order to help someone, they have to meet you somewhere. 
you cannot negotiate your boundaries. Your boundaries are what keep you sane and healthy and able to continue doing this work. So people have to take a step forward. You know, I'm thinking of like that hurricane. People have to grab onto something, hold on to something, move something, right? And in order to then be able to reach out for help. And mm. so that's the one thing as I'm hearing you is like boundaries are clear, but we throw that out so much boundaries that sometimes they're so harsh and rigid. And so it's like the healing and the spirituality and the growing just helps you become powerful without the rigidity of those boundaries. Just going, nope, I'm, I love myself and I'm taking care of myself. Can you meet me somewhere so I can support you? Oh, you can't get there? Well, maybe you have a little bit more work to do, but I'm not going to negotiate on what's going to keep me healthy. I think I've probably shared this with you before, Drew. This makes me think about, you know, this idea of uh, you don't want to be so rigid, but you don't want to be so much of a doormat, right? This idea of being water, mm. right? Because water is this incredible substance that can be a gas, a liquid, right? Or a solid. And depending on what state that it decides to be in, right? And it sounds like you've started emerging into someone who understands that you can be several of these states, at any given time. And that's part of your gift, but at the same time when you're water, water is still water, right? You kind of know it when you see it. And so water is still affected by the containers and the and the environment of which it's in, but it can change its state and still be, but also it's affected. You see the color when you put things in water, water also merges with other things, right? Water's never disaffected, but you know water when you see it and experience it, right? It doesn't ever disappear, it just is. And so when I think about the gifts that you and I have and able to manifest, right? Some of it is looking at the very things that are in nature that are already giving us the wisdom by which we should be experiencing our gifts. The, the, the wisdom is out there for our, taking's not the right word, but for our relearning. It's, it's, it's there. There's nothing we you need to re like create from scratch. It's, it's, there. it's interesting. You asked me the question: Have you found a teacher? And I think water has been a teacher for me. Mm. Okay. And as you're speaking and describing water, because I think of times that I have to show up as a tsunami, and I could tap into the energy of a tsunami, right? Like, oh, not, we're not playing today. Let's let's go, or that I have to come as that little stream, or an ocean wave. And so water teaches us a lot about its energy and its power. Think about a flood that all of a sudden the chaos immersed and all this water is flowing and now you're the flood that has to come and wipe things clear to have something anew. It, it's fascinating that water has been a teacher for me. Yeah. If we riff on water, when I was with my family Christmas evening, having a great time in Baltimore, I get a video from our neighbor saying that, I think there's flooding coming from your home. And there was because we had a busted pipe because of the crazy weather, Judith. And so water, depending on like how it's manifest, it can be destructive, but it's also what provides us life, right? We are 70% water. So much of our earth I forget the exact percentage. It's a hell of a lot. Maybe 70, if not 80%, or right? Screwed you know. without water. Yeah. And yet the way that water can be focused and shaped, right, 
can be either destructive or replenishing, right? Both of those things exist at the same time. Yes. Right. There's no water is neutral. Water is all of these things, right? If you argue, like, not even argue, I would say that our spirit is all of these things. Remember we were talking about the range of emotions that you and I feel? Yes. Right. They all just are. One's not necessarily better than the other. Although I want joy and all these other things. Pain is also a part of sorrow and anger, right? But they all mix. Sometimes you may be feeling several things at the same time. You're like, whoa, it's an emotional like tsunami sandwich. What's this about, right? But I think as you and I know, you don't feel one thing at a time. That's just not the way that things go, right? So I'm curious about your work, because I'm sure our audience would like to hear, Judith, as you're able to share the story, as you're comfortable. But can you share a story of how you've been able to support a Latinx immigrant parents, mother, do their journey? And like, like a moment you're most proud of, I guess, is the right way to ask it. There's many. I'm trying to think of one. I right now just got back from a dinner I invited Two of our moms, one was having an issue and then another one that has been since the organization started six years ago. So there was an issue that arose and I'm like, okay, I'm going to need your help. I'm a Mexican-American that was born here. You're, you know, like an undocumented immigrant Latina mama. So I cannot ever be in her shoes. And so I'm going to need you to help with this. And it was a beautiful conversation. Both their daughters were present and the mom was like, I have no one around that can support me in breaking these cycles. And so I had to stop her and go, look how beautiful moment we're having right here where your daughter is sitting here with a group of women talking about breaking cycles. Where else would you have this conversation? And as we're progressing on this conversation, it was understanding that unless as parents, we understand our history what we've dealt with, the dysfunction, the trauma that our family brought to us, that our children will never have that high quality education because we will be cutting their wings because we will want to control so we can feel safe when our kids are doing brave things that is required in a high quality education. Parents get scared and so they tend to control. And so here were these two Latina immigrant moms having this beautiful conversation on breaking cycles and how the ripple effect, it affects not only their child's education, but the future of the relationship that this child is no longer going to be able to trust. And it's because one mom is doing the work right now and she's supporting another mom to do this work. And so now there's community being built and a support system that you're going to mess up, you're going to screw up. It's okay. We've got your back. This makes me think you really need to watch the movie Moana. This whole thing about breaking cycles. Her parents and that whole community had just been taught you don't leave the island because there's a whole origin story that's very beautiful at the very beginning of the movie, right? Where it's like the sense of control that's used to share this story that scared the kids into you just don't leave the island because when you do, you could die you leave, you die. Like, think about anything really scary to be able to tell children to control them, right, from leaving. And yet, Moana's experience of the water was, you should be leaving. There's nothing to be afraid of beyond this island, right? 
And yeah, it's my little Moana right now. Moon. Aww. I mean, I don't know if I'm gonna cut this. It's like no, she's gonna. This, this is the beauty of it. It's like Let she's her like speak. she. She Let literally look. If I she literally looks like a little Moana when we had a earlier earlier Halloween. When she was one, we dressed her up as Moana, and then my oldest looked like teenage Moana. It was really surreal. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it, it's it's so funny that I I market my work as we work with Latino immigrant mamas to make sure that they're engaged in their child's education. Uh-huh. But here's the thing that we fail to address: that unless the family's able to break cycles or be in that process of breaking cycles understanding the dynamics of how they're controlling their kids, putting those fears in them, that we can provide a high quality education, but it might split up the family because the parent might be proud of their kid, but then that relationship is no longer there because the the kid has outgrown the parent. And so it is my job through my work to ensure that the parents are still walking side by side with their kids, that the kids are watching them break those cycles and trying really hard to do that. But they can't do that unless they have a space like rooted, like my organization, to be able to provide that model and that love and support and that go fail, let's celebrate it. And what are we learning through this with curiosity? And so it's really modeling to those beautiful mamas that are wise and brilliant how to actually be that supportive parent for themselves and for their kids. You're making me riff and think about two different things with how you describe Rooted yet again, right? I think about, one, the missus and I were watching this show called The Parent Test. Oh, yeah. You've heard, right? Yes. (laughs) Fascinating, right? I bet you should be one of the judges, Judith. Seriously, I'm going to find a way for you to get on that show and be like, uh... We have the wise Judith Janes here. She's going to like look at the new age but Rod, parents. And, what? Rod, my <laughs> daughter would be like, why are you in that show? You're not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, our kids have a way of like totally just taking taking us down a notch. I'm like, you're not all that mom or dad. Like, why are you, why are you getting big up like this? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think of that show, right? Because there's so much about that show and how parents are put in these situations and you see this dynamic between autonomy and control, right? And then I also think about my own experience as being Filipino American and talking to a number of Asian Americans, right, about their experience with their parents and the trauma that leads to, it's like oversimplifying it, the control they want to have over their kids, which manifests at times with, well, I want you to take piano lessons. I want you to take these extra courses. I want you to take language lessons. Control also can manifest. I know in Filipino communities, I don't want you to be away from family. So you going to college farther, that's not going to work for us. That's too far. We need you to be closer to home. We're afraid to have you leave us. My mom told me that growing up, right? You know, as the youngest of seven, one of the things she said to me that that, that still like hits with me, which makes me think about how I have to be a continue to be a better parent to my two girls is she said the following when each of you gets stronger you all leave home you never come back mm. right <laughs> my mom told that exact statement to me when I moved out when I was 25 but she said please Ron don't leave why are you going to use that rent to go pay to strangers when you can have that money here and I said mom I can't I can't be home any longer. 
this is like spiritually and emotionally, especially with my brother still being at home and not really doing much of anything, frankly, it was soul sucking. The way that my friends were describing it was like, Ron, do you want to be on the sofa like your brothers? You want to be that? It scared me. I was like, I don't want to be that. I went to college and all the, I don't want to just malaise, right? And it took me leaving. But at some level, Judith, I, when I reflect back on my own relationship with my mom, you know, who's passed uh, a couple of years ago is I wish there was a Judith in our lives to help us walk through that path, right? The gift of you walking parent and child through that path so they don't have to leave. It doesn't have to be once you get educated, the parent is left behind, which is often what it feels like in many an immigrant situation, right? You know, and in many immigrant situations where we're coming from low income circumstances out of poverty, right? Which is where I, I came from, right? And it felt like, oh, I'm gonna go move because I have the fancy college degree and I have access to these and I have this different world. And look at my family where I left, you know, there was trouble paying the heating bill at times. There was not as much nutritious food in our household, right? And I was like, I don't wanna be a part of that. And I don't wanna pour into this when like, why am I the only one fighting? You know, and so makes me wish like, and I'm sure you've tracked this, but where, where are there other Judiths? Have you started, like, I think we had this, I, we were talking about this, right? You're starting to think about having the parents you work with be Judiths for other families and parents, right? Am I remember that correctly? That this is uh, something you're working on? And here's the thing. I don't want to say another Judith, you know, because I think what it is, uh, if I think about it, who teaches us to stand in our power? Who really teaches us to stand in our power? If our parents are not in their power, you know we're going into a school system that wasn't made for us, that wasn't made for us to stand in our power. And so my job really is not to create crones of me, you know, like multiply me, is to actually support people when standing in their brilliance and their power. I think the word is curiosity. I think curiosity is the driver to break those cycles to actually walk in the unknown that requires to break the cycles and continue to be curious and not stay stuck and be scared of change. I think when I'm speaking with these parents, a pattern that I found, they fear change. They become paralyzed. They don't move. And it requires that safety and that Mm. curiosity to move them forward. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just doing a movement of standing in your power, your curiosity, and keep moving, and then the path will unfold in front of you. Mm. Just like in Moana when uh, she... <laughs> I, I'm going to keep referencing this. I, I'm just feeling this Moana riff of just like she's going in the water and like when she's a baby and the water just keeps picking her up and moving her around. She just can't drown in the water. She didn't know how to swim when she was two. She just in the water. The water just totally catches her and like nourishes her. And so in a lot of ways, I think, Judith, what you're saying is we've never been set up to fail, right? This whole idea of failure is more in our, I don't want to say imagination, right? I'm not one to say that we don't experience it, that it's not something that feels real, but that the beauty of failure is the lessons of which we get to be able to stand in our own power. That's when we were riffing on it, that failure is one of our best teachers. It's something you were you were sharing with me. Yeah. And as you're saying that, right. we're taught to succeed, but we don't know how to succeed. 
And so we never mention let's fail because really failure is what requires us to keep moving and creating ideas and inspiring and breaking those cycles. It's failure, but we're taught to succeed without ever being given the tools to succeed. I think we claim we do, but we don't because failure is a key to success. Yeah. I, I started taking adult beginning swimming classes again, Judith. And oh boy. Yeah, I know. 47 learning how to swim. I have thick legs from doing deadlifts and squats, which aren't an asset in learning how to swim at my age, right? So I'm not buoyant like I was when I was 10, right? <laughs> and learning how to swim is inherent failure because the thing I worked on today, which is such a metaphor for what we're talking about, right, is I was learning how to side breathe and side swim, right? And so mm. like I lay out my arm, you know, and like kick on my side and I did it much better on my left arm than my right arm, right? Because I felt on my left versus my right, I just let go more. And there was something really beautiful about failing on my right side, but then like figuring out maybe I just need to kick a little bit better and settle into it and let go on my right side. I had it in my head. You know what? My right side's going to be hard. It's just like, no, Ron, just if you let go of the outcome and you just follow through, like I got to this point when I was getting better with it, especially on my left side, I was able to kick all the way to the wall right? For like a, a number of yards. I let out this big yell. <laughs> My wife and everyone looks at me like, this motherfucker is crazy. I'm like, that's right. I love learning. <laughs> it was just this ink moment, but it came from all these other moments of like, you know, water's coming in my mouth. I'm, you know, then I'm kicking like, oh, oh, wait a second. Failure. And those moments allowed me to figure out how to be better at it, right? You're going to inherently fail. It's just the way that you internalize what, how that feels and what you do with it, right? Yeah. And I'm kind of curious now, as you're mentioning left versus right, the left side is usually the feminine side. Uh, and I always attribute it to our ancestors, the trauma from the ah. feminine side. And the right side is wow. often the male side. And so I, I'm not sure your story or anything, but how you felt more comfortable on your left side versus your right side, which is the male side, and what story our body tells, because that's where we store the teachings of our ancestors of the trauma in our it, body. The, yeah, the God's honest truth, uh, Judith, is that a lot of the deep influence I've had in my family, not to say that my brothers and my father did not influence me, because they did, but my leaning... That's not good has always been the teachings of my mom and my two sisters. And this shouldn't surprise you, when we're at the Edlock Boulder Fund, who are most of the people I'm rocking with? Women. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, does this come as a surprise no. to you, someone who's a deep empath? You're like, I, I just, I, but it's really funny because, you know, I, I sit as a cisgender het male. And I do have some very strong feminine qualities about me, right? And yet there's also these very strong math, like the, both of these things exist in me. And I have to say growing up, I didn't know how to reconcile it as a kid, right? My voice is a little bit more higher pitch. I don't know what that meant. You know, people would make fun of me. I was like, what the hell is that? It's stupid, right? I was always annoyed by it, right? But I've realized that 
these things exist and that's just who you are and it's not to be judged. It's just, that's the beauty of what makes me me, right? Yeah. And everyone has a different, I guess, energy around how they put all these things together. So yeah. thank it's you for medicine. showing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's our medicine. So Judith, I'm going to ask you the closing question for our time together. What's your rounder you want to share with the audience? It's always hard to answer these questions, right? At these moments, right? Because I'm like a critical thinker going deep. But thank you for having me on because you allowed me to connect back to the elements of water and allowed me to like concretely put it back into my energy, connecting back and how these things are connected and the indigenous wisdom teaching us, you know, like Pachamama, like Earth, Mother Earth. Uh, mm. And we're so disconnected from it. So you, even though my spirituality and all my teachings and all that I'm learning right now, you help me connect back to that. And I think we need more conversations like this to happen out in the world for us to connect back to our true element. And for me, that's water. And everyone has a different element, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Judith, it was a incredible honor to be able to have you on the Ron the Rings podcast. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for being like water with our audience and have a great rest of your, your evening. Thank you, Ron, for having me. It's been an honor. Awesome. Wow. What a way to wrap. Thinking of what element that we're trying to rediscover about ourselves and what Judith and I have in common. We're both like water. And you think of the principles of water, it's something that could be a liquid, a water, and a gas. Judith and I are very flexible people, very agile people. We can be in many different environments. We can get to the shape of any container that we're in because of us being like water. But being like water also has its downsides, right? You take in a lot, right? And you heard from Judith talking that she has to take breaks. She, she experiences a lot being like water, similar to me. I feel a lot. And, you know, we're all on our journey in figuring out how we're going to have our impact. And you got to hear a side of how a deeply intuitive person navigates the world. So those of you that have the gift that are trying to access the gift, I hope you learned something from how Judith and I talked today. Check out more episodes of Ronderings. We got more coming, fam. More fire. Peace.